Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to sit down and talk to Andy Donaldson, who is attempting to break the world record in the Oceans Sivin. I can't even say it, it's so ridiculous. Oceans Sivin Marathon Swimming Challenge. He wants to complete the world's seven toughest channel crossings in just one year. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. You must be exhausted. Hello, Hazel. Um, yes, <laughs> it's been it's been a bit of a journey so far, um, trying to complete all of these oceans um, channel swims in the, in the space of a year. Um, it's it's um, October already. We're two in and... Um, yeah, I suppose it's just getting started. So, but um, it's all for a good cause. It's um, to bring awareness and try and raise some funds for a, a cause that's close to my heart, which is mental health. Absolutely. And I think it's so commendable. But before we get into all of the details of the challenge itself, let's kind of go back to the beginning and talk about where you first got inspired to start swimming. Um, well, I, I started swimming. Um, back in the west coast of Scotland when I was maybe about five or six years old. Um, my family are all avid sports people and uh, always active outdoors. And on holidays, we would always be doing something, um, including swimming. And my older sister and cousin were both competitive swimmers and I naturally just followed them into the sport. And, you know, starting out in, in my first club, North Ayrshire Swimming Club, um, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of, of swimming there and some of my closest friends were made through through the sport. Yeah, it definitely gives you, you know, a lot of structure. It gives you a lot to strive for when you're younger. And I think it kind of gives you that mentality of becoming a bit of a goal achiever. So you spoke about starting off in the West of Scotland, but you actually moved to Australia. So what was what was it like going from rainy West Coast freezing at five in the morning to uh swimming in australia what was that like oh it's obviously a bit of a bit of a change um growing up in scotland you know the access to facilities is 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 a big one you know our closest 50 meter pool was an hour's drive up to glasgow and you could be scraping ice off your car um, at 4 30 in the morning trying to get ready and up to up to the pool for training and um you know i kept training through that I had some great people through my life that had supported me on that journey and when I turned 21 I moved across to Australia to um, just I suppose as a change of scene and it was just it just amazed me how much of a um, different place that it is I mean swimming's just ingrained into the culture there's almost a 50 meter pool in every single suburb you could be pretty much five minutes away from your nearest pool. Uh, and so it just makes, it, it certainly makes life a lot easier to to train and, and to pursue a passion such as um, trying to you know, compete on the international stage in swimming. Uh, when that network and that sort of all the facilities are there, 
but it's great that I like I, the way I look at it. You know, I, I'm really glad that I experienced the other side of the spectrum and and the hardship because it just provides a bit more of an appreciation mm. of what you have and and how lucky we we are where we are. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine, did it do something for your own? motivation to try and you know get yourself to the olympics or really double down in the sport once you moved to australia did you find your kind of goals shifting a little bit yeah it was um it was certainly helpful um you know some of the best swimmers in the world are from australia and when you are surrounded by others that are on that journey it, it certainly helps you and, and can motivate and inspire you and, mm. and you, you never really feel alone um there's that camaraderie and, and you're pushing each other to help. You might have your own goals, but you're surrounded by similar like-minded people and you're all pushing mm-hmm. each other to to strive and, and perform and, 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 and to grow together. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit, you know, you did retire from competitive swimming a few years after you moved to Australia. And I want to talk a little bit about the potential of not reaching an original goal because I think you know for a lot of people when they start out and they think oh I want to get to the Olympics or I want to have a certain career or I want to get you know they have an end in sight that end doesn't always become attainable to everyone through a multitude of different reasons and what I like about your story is that you've then gone on to find a different goal that you're now striving for and one that I believe you will achieve and I'm sure you believe it too um how how did you deal with realizing the Olympics weren't going to happen for you? You know, it's a, it's a really great question, uh, Hazel. And I'll I'll put a wee caveat in there or I'll, explanation. When when I started out the sport, you know, I think as a six or seven year old, you're not thinking about Olympics or whatnot. <laughs> it's something that that comes with time. You know, when I started, I was just happy splashing about in the pool with my friends. Um, it was only really something that that came as I progressed in the sport and, and started making national teams and, and racing on the international stage that I thought, you know, maybe maybe I could get onto a British team and, and race at the Olympics. And, you know, you, you, I suppose like in life, all you can do is really give it your best. Um, there's so many factors that go into into creating a really fast swimmer um, and so many variables out of your control like there might be other people that are better than you and that like you know that's not a bad thing um, you know so it was interesting and at the time so I, I retired from the sport in 2016 um, you know in 2014 I'd had a, a pretty bad shoulder injury that, that scuppered or sort of hampered my preparation for trying to make the Commonwealth Games and then in 2016 um, you know I'd, I'd reinvented myself as an open water swimmer but um, the the GB team pretty much had already got their guys ready for that so together with my coach we'd looked at the opportunity of racing for Indonesia and you know I'd, I'd trained my heart out I was in a place where I I believed that you know, I was capable of trying to maybe make an Olympic Games with um, there's something called a regional qualifier spot for the 10 kilometer event. So if I could swim for Indonesia, which is where my mother's from, and I'm technically half Indonesian, 
you know that could be a way to fulfill one of those dreams and um unfortunately i never actually got the chance to to race uh, the qualifier the olympic qualifier because um you know after providing an indication from indonesia that i could swim for them they they just kind of fell off the planet unfortunately mm. and never got that chance to swim so it was it was hard to to be in the shape of your life and not really see how get the chance to actually race and see what you could do so mm-hmm. i found it quite hard for a number of years um to, to process that i was you know i left the sport quite burnt out um i hadn't reached the dreams that i'd set out to try achieve or i didn't even have the chance to to have a go really i was and i think that that ate up ate me up a little bit um I tried different things. I threw myself into my work. I'm a chartered accountant. Um, because, you know, when you go from almost a full-time athlete mm-hmm. where, you're, where, where you're swimming and it's like a second job and you, you take that out from your life and you take away all that structure, you, you're you left with a bit of a void. So I threw myself into work as my sort of um, different avenue. and. Are you looking for animal-themed gifts for this Christmas? Or do you want a personalised piece of art to remember your favourite animal? Then you need to check out the art of Amy Michelle. From owl prints to humpback whale stickers and even painted Christmas tree ornaments, she has something for everyone. Visit her Etsy store or social media at Art of Amy Michelle. Putting beauty in the world, one piece of art at a time. Yeah, it was um, it was a couple of years where, you know, I, I did what I thought I'd need to do, and ultimately I, I hadn't really taken the time to to process all these things, um, all these I suppose, um, unfulfilled dreams, and so really it was um, it was luck I suppose that that brought me back into the sport. Um, when when the world um, fell into the coronavirus pandemic, I found myself back in the water and uh, found myself getting quite fit. And, you know, I, I realized how much I'd missed it, mm-hmm. you know, swimming, something that I'd done all my life and that had been part of who I am. I'd made my best friends through through the sport. Yeah. Um, and I realized that, you know, I need to, it's something that's important that I need to make time for. So I found myself getting back into swimming and I sat down and sort of thought to myself that maybe, maybe it's time to revisit some of these old goals or, or change, change what's, change what they are. Um, so that I can actually look back at my swimming career and and feel like all right I've, i'm content i've given it everything that i could and i'm really happy with the outcomes um from all those efforts um, i think that's so that, important i think that's so important there's so many athletes who make it all the way to get an olympic gold medal and still struggle with with leaving the sport you know you spoke about the amount of structure that it gives you as a person and the amount of time that it takes out of your schedule it's so much of an adjustment when you leave that behind and then have to go into something else and 
even for those of us who maybe don't go all the way to the Olympics or whatever your own individual goals are, you know, I remember when I left swimming, I was totally fine with it because I was so much more focused on my new goal of being a killer rail trainer. It was like my goals and priorities completely shifted. So I was fine just saying goodbye to swimming and thanking it for what it had given me. But I really find it interesting how you have managed to kind of navigate the, okay, I'm leaving the sport through a multitude of different reasons, but none of them are because I'm ready to. And then finding it again a few years later and going, you know what, I'm going to reevaluate and double down in this and, you know, be able to kind of achieve enough that I can be content with it. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. I think it, in, in your circumstance, for example, you've been able to leave on your terms, whereas I felt that, you know, I, I just, it was a probably a bit more of a knee-jerk reaction to, mm. to not getting to to get what I want out of the out of the sport and and rushing to find something to fill the void. So mm. it's it's a tough one and I'm sure I'm sure though that there are others out there that have done the same thing or or are considering doing um changing you know changing goals. Um and I suppose it's it took a worldwide pandemic for me to actually take the time to sit down and reflect, which is pretty bad, you know, but um, I'm I'm glad that I did. And I, I think, you know, obviously the coronavirus pandemic was a terrible thing and there was a lot of um, bad things that came out of it. Um, I suppose at the same time, it, it did provide time for people to sit back and reflect and figure out what's important in life because you know when you get stuck in the day-to-day it's it's very hard or it can be very hard to lift your head up and look where you're going and, and look back from where you've come so for sure and what made you make the change because you spoke about how you'd started doing some open water swimming even before you officially retired from the sport what got you interested in starting open water um well, I think it was it was probably a similar thing. Um, I was always a two hundred meter swimmer across pretty much all strokes, but in in the latter years of my pool swimming career, it was mostly two hundred freestyle. And I think not not making the the Commonwealth Games in twenty fourteen was um, was probably the the um, catalyst behind needing a change I, I knew I wasn't finished with my swimming career but you know I was at a stage where all the pool meets I was turning up to I was one of the oldest a lot of my friends had moved on from the sport um, but there were really good open water swimmers that were still going and um, and that I could train alongside and learn from so I looked at that and I saw it as a fresh challenge, um, something that I knew I could sink my teeth into. And, you know, with, with open water, you, you turn up and you could be swimming in some of the nicest locations in the world. So I saw there was longevity there as well in that discipline. Um, you know, a lot of open water swimmers, even it, it, you don't have to be you know, doing the elite stuff or the 10 Ks is it, just a skill for life that you can bring into and you can go and have friends swim in the open water 
I see in the UK, for example, all this wild swimming and, and cold dips is really growing in popularity. So I, I saw more of a future there. And, you know, when I started, I, I just found myself really enjoying it, which I think is so important that you enjoy what you do. And, you know, I think goals aside, if you're doing that, you're spending your time well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I completely agree. I think open water swimming gives you a different perspective on the sport you know it's not just you and the lane rope (laughs) and stinking of chlorine you know you do get to go to some really beautiful locations what are some of the differences that you had to adapt to going from being a competitive swimmer in a pool environment to all of a sudden being in open water and going oh this is a different ball game (laughs) yeah good question so there's, I mean, there's, there's the obvious differences between pool and open water. Like, there's no lane ropes. There's, there's no black line along the bottom. Um, there's a lot less. Um, there's a lot more that's outside of your control. So in a pool swim, you know exactly, you know, pretty much exactly when you're going to be, uh, when you're going to be swimming. You know, it's roughly going to take, how long it will take you to complete your your events or a 200 freestyle take less than two minutes for example um whereas in the open water you you are you're out in the elements and uh, there's no lane ropes it could be raining it could be sunshine it could be really choppy windy all these things that are outside of your control there's a lot of people so you might clash arms um but that's all part of part of the challenge and and being adaptable it, it, it does it forces you to be adaptable and you know, I, I really like that. It's not about the times. It's about, it's just pure racing. So um, for me, it was it was a great and fresh opportunity um, to challenge myself. And so, yeah, I, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I, I think it is a really interesting um, sport. So after, you know, your epiphany during the pandemic where you decided, no, I'm really going to pursue this again, what happened? What were your first steps? Well, I actually, so it was a friend that encouraged me to get back into the water. And by chance, on my first day out of quarantine, um, I bumped into him down at the beach, a guy called Martin Smoothie. And um, he just said, look, look, I'm going swimming along the beach every day. Why don't you come and join me? So we would do that uh, during the lockdown. And it just, for me, it was, it was so good for the, for my, like, I realized how important it was for mental well-being. Um, and so together we actually decided that we should try and get others into this and, and create a group where we could encourage people to get into open water um, and to actually try and pursue goals that they might have put aside or swept under the rug or, mm. or never tried to achieve. Um, and for that, so we, we set up a little group called Swim Clan. We got a few coaches together and we were essentially trying to get people to, to do this uh, in a safe environment where they're all sharing and helping each other on their own personal journeys. And what I mean by that, like it didn't have to be swimming some crazy channel or, or an Ironman. It might be that they just want to be more comfortable in the water so that when they go for a swim with their kids, they're not stressing or... They wanted to do, uh, you know, a sprint triathlon or get into surf club. 
all these different things which you know might seem well everyone's goals are personal and that's that's the beauty of it so we were of the belief that if someone achieves their goal the the benefits flow into other areas of life um you know someone that that manages to get round um a lap in a triathlon who's never done anything like that before like you just see them and they come out and their their smiles are just beaming they might not have won the race but it doesn't matter they're the they're the real winners of the day and so we set this up and and martin had said to me you know why don't you put your money where your mouth is and and get back into the sport yourself you know this is what we're teaching why don't you practice what you preach so um that's what I did, and there's um there's a, one of the world's biggest social open water races, um is actually in Perth, Western Australia. It's a it's a twenty kilometer channel swim out from the mainland out to an island called Rockmest. And so I decided to to enter it with with the goal of of trying to win it, um, and that was going to be a quite a tough challenge because, um. There was people on the Australian Dolphins team entered for the event. So guys in the their national open water team. Mm. And they were all going in as favorites. And and here's this guy, this washed up athlete who <laughs> hasn't swum for, for a number of years. Like, all right, yeah, he was he might have been good back in the day, but there was there was no expectation. So together I got back into my old squad and my coach Owen Carroll. Um, I sat down with him. This would have been, oh, maybe July of 2020, and the race was in February, so seven months. And I told him what I planned to do, what I wanted to try and achieve. And, you know, he, he told me I was nuts, but, you know, he also said, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, we're going to have to train smarter. We won't be able to beat these guys based on hard work because, you know, they're, They've been on their Olympic programs and, and training nonstop for the last, you know, 10 years. But, you know, if we can pull every advantage that we have, um, we might be able to pull this off. And mm. so that's what happened. Knuckled, knuckled my head down, tried to create a really good environment of, of swimmers. So I called up ex-swimmers to try to get back into training and, and bring others on this journey. And, and I sought out advice from others. Because, you know, dreams like that, you, you can't do them on your own. That's what I've, I've come to learn in my life, you know, that there's no self-made people on this planet. There always, there's always people assisting or part of that journey. And so that was where I started out. I, I sought advice and I sought to try to create an environment that would help get towards that goal and and for me like yes it was a it was a very ambitious goal but I knew that if I'd given it everything that I could you know I, I could leave leave the water with no regrets there was you know leave no stone stone unturned you know you could just hold your head up high and um, be, be be pleased with what you've done. So you obviously prepared and trained very hard for the Rotnest swim. So what was it like on the day? thinking to yourself, oh my God, now I've got to swim 20 kilometers and try and win this thing. 
So it's, it's, I mean, it's quite, it's quite a daunting thing. Uh, you're standing there on the beach, Rottnest, or the island is 20 kilometers offshore. You can see across there on, on most days. Um, the atmosphere is electric. And um, what, they, what they do is they create this um, Champions of the Channel elite wave that goes off first. Uh, so I was going in as the third favorite for the swim. And so there they are on the start line and they're interviewing the guys who are the favorites. These guys are on the Australian team. Um, but I knew, I knew I'd done the work. I knew that I'd done my homework. I'd spoken to so many people about how to prepare, what to do in the day. Um, and I knew exactly how I was going to, to do my swim. I knew it all inside out. So what that meant was that I could just simply turn up and, and execute. And funnily enough, I, I don't remember much from the actual swim because most of it was just an autopilot. Um, and I think that's what you want. You, you just swim out there, or whatever your goal is, you, you just, it's almost second nature when, you, when you're actually executing the thing. And so on the day, I actually left off the beach and went straight into the lead. And it stayed that way for the entire thing. So, um, you know, for the first 10Ks, I might have been about 100 meters ahead of the, the rest of the field. Uh, and my 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 um, race plan was to really start off tough and and fast and then just throw the hammer down at the 10k mark because for me that's what that race is or that's how I sort of envisaged the best way to to execute that execute that race was that instead of saving everything in the tank to the end let's actually you know, go out quite strong and, and hold a pace that's unsustainable for everyone else. I've been training uh, in the water to make uh, sort of 112 pace per 100 meters really comfortable and, and sort of second nature and something that I could do with my eyes closed until the cows come home. So I'd set off like that. And then, you know, I just wanted to punish the others and, and really get down uh, and work hard. And, and it, it showed on the day and, you know, by around the 15 kilometer mark, I, I had about half a kilometer lead on the rest of the field. And it was really quite special because it meant that towards the end, um, I could really just switch off and, and enjoy the moment. And, you know, there was a lot of people that were part of that journey uh, and they're on the island or on the support boat with me. And it just meant that, you know, when I actually touched down on the on the beach on the other side um, and I ran up that ramp, you know, everything had come together almost perfectly on the day and achieving that goal, there was so many people part of the journey that, and you get to celebrate with them all as well. So for me, it's, it's really important. You know, these are the people that have helped make it happen and it just makes it even better that you have them with you through the good and the bad. And, and ultimately at the end, regardless of whether you, you achieve what you want to, they're, they're there every step of, of the way with you. So um, it was, it was a bit of a wild celebration at the end and, you know, even better that we'd, we'd raised 
I think seven thousand dollars for a mental health charity um, through that process. You know, we'd we'd used that that event as a platform to try and bring awareness to a cause that you know was important to all of us. Yeah, and I think it's lovely that we you know you spoke a little bit earlier about how you cannot achieve your goals alone. And I completely agree with you. You know, you need, it takes a village. You need so many people with you, people that are pulling you up towards where they are and people that are supporting you that are going to help push you there. Um, and it's just wonderful when you get to then celebrate with them because, you know, every, so many people benefit from just one person setting out to achieve something. So at what point did you then start entertaining the idea of the Ocean 7 challenge? Well, I think after that, you know, I'd, I'd sat down with my coach and, you know, we were chatting about what, what's next. Um, and I'd said to him, you know, like, I feel like I've still got more to give in this sport. And, you know, I've just gone and beaten a guy who was fifth at the world championships in the 25k i've beaten by eight minutes and i'm just thinking you know maybe maybe i should be using this skill for something good you know i've got i'm in this i suppose privileged position where i might be able to use my swimming as a vehicle to help others and you know we through that swim there with rot nest I'd, I'd seen that we could use you know, sport and purpose can be intertwined. We'd raised $7,000 for a local mental health charity. And I thought, well, I think there's been a lot of people that have been struggling in these recent years. Mm. You know, we've had the pandemic. More recently, we've had the Ukraine war. And there's all these things that are coming, out of a, um, coming around as a byproduct of that, you know, energy crisis and cost of living. Mm. And there's probably a lot of people struggling out there. So, um. And through my own journey, you know, I, I've had struggles in the past with my mental health and, and swimming was really something that helped me. Um, and so this perfect storm was almost coming together. And, and I said to my coach, you know, maybe, maybe something like the English Channel could be, could be done. And when I was reading up on that, I, was, I learned about the Ocean 7. And I figured, you know, that's, that's the one. And because you're just, insane, you said, yeah, I want to try that. <laughs> yeah, and, and he said that as well. He's like, you're nuts, but <laughs> I like where your mind's at. Like, I like that there's purpose behind it. So so for any fantastic. of my listeners that don't know what the Ocean 7 Challenge is, or how, like, well, obviously there's seven swims, but what are the channel swims? So the, the Ocean 7, it's a, it's a collection of some of the world's toughest and, and most iconic channel swims in the world. So... You know, I think there's an equivalent in, in the mountaineering world called the Summit 7, where it's like the seven highest summits in each continent. So this is the swim community's equivalent. And um, there's, there's, you know, quite well-known ones like the English Channel and Catalina Channel, which is over in Los Angeles, um, all the way through to lesser-known ones like um, the Sugaru Strait, which is between two of the Japanese islands. You've got the Strait of Gibraltar between Spain and France, the Cook Strait between the two New Zealand islands, 
the Molokai Channel, which is between two Hawaiian channels, and the North Channel, which is Ireland to Scotland. And so each of them, they, they're all marathon and distance. They all are unique in the challenges that they present. So for example, the, the North Channel, Ireland to Scotland is absolutely freezing. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I used to swim, well, I, I didn't really swim in, the, in the, the sea there when I was growing up because you'd have to- No one does. No one does. So, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that people actually do these swims and, you know, they're, they're growing in stature and popularity. And so, yeah, I, I saw that as the, the platform that we could potentially use to, mm. to bring awareness to an important cause. And um, I set off to, to go around preparing and, and, and planning and organizing that all these swims. Yeah, so the charity you're raising money for is the Black Dog Institute. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, for me, there's a lot of fantastic organizations out there doing great work for, for mental health. Um, my, my view or the way I see it, these guys at the Black Dog Institute, they do fantastic stuff in the, the research space. So they're trying to under, better understand mental health um, and not just ways to treat it, but to, to prevent it as well. Because, and you know, I, I've seen some pretty stark statistics about it. The World Health Organization expects mental, men, mental illness and depression to become the, the world's leading um, health issue by 2030. And so it just amazes me that there's not that much being done by governments to actually better understand it. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to support these guys and hopefully use my swimming in the ocean seven as as a uh, as a way to to bring awareness to their incredible work. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, all of the links for donations and awareness will be in the description box for anyone listening. And um, you've already done a couple of your channel swims already. Uh, so how did they go? Yeah, that that's right, Hazel. So um, in August, I swam the English Channel. So um that's known by many as the Everest of swimming and yeah you know if, if we're talking about dreams it was always one of my childhood dreams I think growing up as a swimmer in the UK to swim the English Channel it's it really seemed like a pipe dream um and for many years I, I thought that's what it would remain so uh remain as so to actually get the chance to line up on Dover on the beach there and, and swim across the France with France was um just, just like simply surreal. And, it sounds um, mental when you say it, doesn't it? Like, oh yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna swim to France this swim morning. To France, you know. <laughs> I mean I don't know about you, but I remember taking the, the, the ferry across there and mm -hmm. as a kid. Like it it was it, you know, you, you stand there, you are there on the, the white cliffs of Dover looking across and it, it is pretty unreal when you've got all these tankers. It's one of the busiest shipping channels in the world. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd done all my homework and, and prepared as best as I could. Um, but I didn't realize just how mentally tough it was going to be. Mm. What's um, the distance? 
it is 33 kilometers so okay. 21 miles or more or less and is that the longest one in the Ocean 7 Challenge, or do you have longer to go? There, there are longer ones. So the, the one in Hawaii is 44 kilometers. Okay. The English Channel, so along with being cold water, um, is one of the most tidal swims in the world. Mm. So if you ever look at a GPS map, everyone does a big S bend and gets swept out with the tide and then swept back in. So you end up swimming closer to 40 Ks in, in mm. a lot of instances. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the swim itself is, is quite mentally tough because you don't necessarily know which day you're going to swim. Mm. So most pool events, you know, you know exactly your time, what heat you're in yeah. for, for your race. Uh, with this, you, you get given a window of, say, for example, 10 days, and you, there's like a, there's, um, there's like a slot system where, you know, for me, I, I'll just explain where I was. I was slot four, so I essentially had to wait for three other people to swim before I could actually swim in that window. So, it's, it's quite nerve-wracking and you just don't know what the weather's going to be like. We all know what British weather can be, how it can be. So, you know, you don't even know if you're going to get given a good day. So it's, it's tough. Um, you're, you're, sit, you're essentially sitting on standby, don't know when you're going to swim and the notice can be really short. So, for example, one of my friends got a text at 6 p.m., uh, on a Thursday night that she was going to be leaving at midnight. So it's, it's really, it's, it can play with your mind. Wait, she swam through the night. Yeah. So they, they, they time it with the high tide. So you're essentially mm. leaving when the water's at its highest. And the idea behind that is that, you know, the tide goes out and it almost flushes you out with, with mm -hmm. it. So, um, there's all these different things that are happening. It's all all these different factors. There's no one swim that's the same. So that was really quite tough um, uh, to manage your emotions through that period. And then, you know, it was actually just easier getting in the water on the on the actual day, but less nerve wracking mm -hmm. um, to get in and, and get started to swim. Um, and unfortunately, it was it turned out to be a fantastic day. Uh, we got across in eight hours, which um, was a new British record. So the fastest ever time set by a British um, swimmer across the English Channel, which um, is quite surreal, you know. That's, it's definitely um... an achievement to be proud of. <laughs> Thanks, Hazel. Um, yeah, I, I was just absolutely over the moon. The, the support crew and the day were fantastic. My, my dad had come down from Scotland to to be part of it and... You know, again, I, I just come back to that that um, mantra that you need good people on your journey mm -hmm. when you when you're going for your goals because, um, especially when times are tough. I mean, in that swim there, um, the tides were really picking up, and I think we were we were maybe ten kilometers off the coast of France at this point when the tides were picking up. And the message comes down on the little whiteboard 
um, that I need to start swimming faster. Otherwise, the tide's going to push us south of France and we'll miss the coast, which mm. would potentially add an extra five or six kilometers onto the swim. And when you're already fatigued and, and hurting, to get a message like that is, it can be really tough. And so having great people in your corner and supporting you and helping you through those tough times that you, you can't play, uh, you can't place a price um, can't place a price on it you know it's, it's just yeah. really invaluable I have a question because you mentioned the whiteboard which is obviously what they use to kind of communicate with you but as a farmer swimmer like you're swimming for eight hours do you ever do you stop no so with the well yeah you can do but I'll give an example you in the English Channel, the tides are so strong that if you stop um, for anything, you know, any long amount of period of time, you're likely to get swept back, you know, a good 500, 600 meters mm. in a period of time. The, t the tides are that strong. So, um, and then you're spending the next 20 minutes getting back to where you yeah. were. So, for us, you know, all of these swims, the, the Marathon Swimming Federation rules, it's all, you know, speedo trunks. You're not, you're not allowed wetsuits, one cap. Um, you know, you have to, because a lot of them are cold water, you end up using things like, um, like ocean grease and wool fat to keep you warm. I was just going to say that must have been really fun on the Irish, uh, Irish Scottish <laughs> <Yeah>. swim. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, but like a like a like a running marathon, you, you do need to keep weight like keep fueled. So when you're out there swimming, um, you have nutrition and feeds on the board uh, on the on the boat, and you've got a member of your team passing out a drink, for example, mm. every twenty minutes to you to to slosh down. Okay. Um, and the way you know we we knew the strength of the tide, so we didn't want to be spending too much time you know, stop start, uh, where you lose your momentum. So, um, I was trying to keep my feeds, um, around the three second mark. So someone passes it down, the, the lid's already off, grab the ball, slosh it down and, and chuck it back up to them. And it's, you know, you're doing that every 20 minutes through eight hours of swimming. And other than that, you're not really stopping. Mm, yeah. I mean, I suppose every, channel swim is a little bit different with regards to tides and the weather and the warmth of the water regardless of the distance what for you is the most challenging aspect of a channel swim i mean i think you can separate the challenging aspects into two things you've got the swim itself so english channel the tides the the north channel the cold um so I'll, I'll delve into that, the, the North Channel. So that was the second swim that, that we did. We did that in September. The water temperature was 15 degrees, um, which is considered warm for the North Channel. I was just going to say that. That's pretty good. I remember the last time I went swimming in Scotland in the summer, and it was like nine degrees. Yeah. So that, that was considered to be really good for, for perspective of, competition pool might be around 26 degrees i think mm -hmm. um, so you you do feel it and in that swim there i was swimming along and 
you know, I've got to about the, people do all sorts of things to prepare for for cold swims. Like a lot of people put on weight. So, um, I spoke to an Argentinian guy who's who swum it. He put on fifteen kilograms, uh, especially just to to attempt the North Channel and hadn't taken a hot shower in over a year. So, people do all these crazy things to to try and prepare for themselves as best as they can for the cold. It's really quite difficult. That's a crazy amount of preparation. There was a Russian guy who who swum, and uh, you know, I I looked at him and thought, oh, this will be a piece of cake for you. You know, he's done, <laughs> done five of the Ocean Seven. He's done multiple Ironmans, and um, you know, he's he's Russian. He must be like this will be like breakfast for him you know so <laughs> and he got pulled out after two hours so it's it is real the risk of hypothermia is real yeah. in, in my swim I got to the three hour mark and I think there was there was quite a lot of expectation that I would beat the the world record the world record sat at nine hours and five minutes and off the back of my English channel I think people were just um sort of there was this expectation from others and that this would I'd just fly through it. And that's never the case. And I don't go into swims. I try not to go into these things targeting times. I mean you mm. you first gotta complete the thing. Um and then anything up on top of that is a bonus. So we got to the three hour mark and you know the guys on the boat are are writing on the whiteboard my stroke rate and it's, it's starting to plummet my pace is really getting down so for all the swimmers out there my 100 pace um which is usually around 112 per 100 meters in these swims was falling back to about 140. that's a and big that for anyone who's a swimmer that is a big jump yeah it's it was really quite stark and Essentially, my body was just shutting down with the cold, so I was starting to turn white. My arms just felt heavy um, and, and really exhausted. Um, and I, I was, you know, I, at this point in the swim, I, I wasn't even halfway. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm just thinking, geez, like, what am I supposed to do here? And I was trying all these different tools that I knew that were in my, my toolbox to, to stay calm and, and not let the doubts creep in. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was, it was really tough. And so again, just highlighting the importance of, of crew. I, I had to shout up to the guys and I said, look, I'm like, muscles are feeling heavy, seizing up, um, you know, but energy is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, they wrote on the on the whiteboard, like they gave me a big thumbs up, wrote on the whiteboard that they were going to make some changes to the feeds. They ended up putting piping hot water into into the bottles to try keep me up from inside and mm -hmm. keep my core up. And you know, instead of drinking every 20 minutes, we brought it down to every 15. And you know, those guys, they were really on the ball and, you know, if they weren't there and if they hadn't made those changes, there was no way I was, I was going to actually make this swim. And together with those changes and with all the encouragement that they, they gave me, you know, they managed to squeeze an extra six hours out of me when yeah. things didn't even seem possible. And, you know, 
got across to Scotland and I just couldn't quite believe what had happened, like that we'd made it because six hours ago, you know, I, I could hardly contemplate swimming for an extra 10 minutes. It was really just quite something. And, and how do you, that takes such, you know, a lot of mental fortitude as well to be able to think, God, I'm only three hours into what is most likely a nine or 10 hour swim how do I keep going? How, do, what did you tell yourself in order to keep pushing through? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the team, the team certainly helped. They, they provided a lot of encouragement, sending like writing up messages from, from friends and families who were texting in. Um, so they play a big part of it. And then I think from yourself, those are, are very interesting things and I think you can recognize I'm not sure how to word this like there's goals that are purposeful and, and have real meaning and there are probably a few more superfluous goals like oh, I want a bigger house or I want a new car and when you actually achieve those things do they actually bring you happiness or mm-hmm. make a difference in your life and so I was reminding myself of the bigger picture and, and the ultimate goal, which is to to complete this Ocean 7 challenge. And, and, you know, the purpose behind it is a lot of good can potentially come from this. Mm. And so it was just reminding myself why I was doing this. And, you know, all the, all the good that could potentially come from it and, you know, doesn't matter if I break world records or not. I think there's still positive and powerful messages that can be shared from it anyway. And so, you know, we we got across there, um, touched down on on the ground nine hours thirteen, so missed the world record by seven minutes. But you know, to me, that was a better outcome than if I just cruised through that thing and and smashed it by an hour or two, like. I learned a lot more from that there than I could have learned from from just like a breezy swim. And I think there's a lot of similarities between that and life where, you know, things don't always go to plan, mm. but, you know, it's okay to ask for help and, and for you, you, that you need others by your side through those tougher times to get through to the end. So... Yeah. That was that was really that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And how many do you still have left to do? What's the next one on your list? So that's two down. There's there's five to go. Um, I've organised two others for April and July, which is which are the the Hawaii and Catalina ones. Um, the other three, I'm still working with the organisers to try um schedule it in um you know depending on where it is in the world there's better times of the year to swim it so there's a fair amount of logistics going on and a lot of the swims have backlogs (laughs) would you believe (laughs) there's like people queuing up to to do them so um it's just trying to to work around that too and i don't want to step on any toes or or deny anyone else of their swim so Mm -hmm. trying to work with organizers to to 
um, agree on a time that might work and, and not deprive others of, of their opportunities too. Um, so, Is there one that you're particularly looking forward to doing? I think Hawaii. Um, it's, it's probably, I mean, most people tend to think that the North Channel is the hardest one. You've got the cold water, unpredictable weather, um, and the lion's mane jellyfish, which are really quite poisonous and 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 did bad, you come across any i uh, i was actually really lucky uh, i got one sting uh, but i'd heard all these stories about them and how bad they are and like that your arm just feels like it's on fire for like a mm. whole day and um, they actually had a, a jellyfish spotter on the boat which was quite <laughs> scary every time so he, he had a whistle in his mouth every time that we were going through a patch of jellyfish and like you blow it if you know, I was on course for a, a face plant, so oh, no. that was quite nerve-wracking. But um, yeah, to come back to, to your question, I think Hawaii, I, I, I like the idea of swimming out there. It's, you're right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, so you're getting all these huge ocean swells rolling in. Uh, and I, I, like, I like challenging myself. I think it would be quite cool to go out there and... That one's the longest one. It's it's in quite challenging conditions. There's some pretty scary sea life out there as well. So, yeah, I think it will. Hopefully, it'll be all okay. Um, <laughs> I'll be able to survive. Tell yeah. the tale. <laughs> well, one. from myself and I'm sure from everyone listening, we wish you the absolute best of luck with it. And if anyone does want to donate or spread some positivity about this then all of the links are below in the description and where can they find you uh so i'm posting updates on um on, on my social media so my instagram is andy.swimming nice and easy to remember and um on facebook there's a there's a facebook page andy donaldson swimmer perfect so on there and yeah, as you said, links below. If anyone wants to understand more about the challenge, um, all the information is there in the in the Black Dog Institute fundraising page. And uh, we're we're making a documentary about this Ocean Seven to try use or um, maximize the impact that we can have from from these swims uh, and bring more awareness and, and positivity and 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 so forth to the cause of mental health. So that will hopefully come at the end of all of this. And uh, yeah, we'll, whatever happens, we'll, we'll be just giving our best. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and sharing all of this with us today, Andy. Yeah, thank you again for, for having us on here, Hazel. It's really awesome to be chatting with you. And uh, I think you're doing some amazing stuff with your podcast here. And 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 hopefully can, any of this can help others in in inspire them towards uh, achieving their dreams too. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will see you guys next week.